Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another show episode. Is it a show, Kieran? Show of Sports Unplugged. Um, and yeah, today I am delighted to have um, Kieran with me. He's a uh, Liverpool fan. He's a fan of many things in terms of Liverpool Football Club. He's a fan of the board, the chairman, Linda, John, Tom, um, every Tom, Dick and Harry of uh, FSG, but I'm delighted to have him today because he's an avid boxing fan as well. So we'll go over the boxing, what next for Joshua. We'll go over the Saudi takeover at Newcastle and we'll just do a little touch upon the international week as well, weekend. And I'm delighted to join, um, to have Kev joined with us. Kev's had a bit of a trim. Kev, how are we? I'm good, mate. Not too bad at all. Brilliant, brilliant. And uh, Kieran, how are we? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Brilliant, brilliant. Good so we'll get onto it, guys. It's been an eventful week. Uh, usually, international uh, week, we're all sort of worried about injuries and players coming back. But there has been obviously big news that we covered yesterday on Carnage as well. But I, look, it's going to be a hot topic for the next few months, few oh, yeah. years, maybe even, um, depending on how much the Saudi group, the Rubin brothers, um, and Amanda Staveley spend. But I want to come to you, Kev. What have you made of the takeover um, for Newcastle United? Let's talk about Newcastle United because they've had a few ownerships pre-hand that have never worked out. I mean, they had, yeah. going back to our time, Freddie Shepard is the one Freddie that Shepherd comes to mind. Freddie Shepard and John Hall. And um, they, 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 the spent one, a lot, they spent a lot of money back in is. the day. They did, and it just didn't work out. Wrong appointments um, in terms of managerial. But I want to get your thoughts on... Uh, the takeover right now and previously as well, and the Newcastle that you want sort of coming to the top of the sort of well, uh, tree. Newcastle with Hall and Shepherd were the entertainers. You know, they were there. Keegan, you had exciting football. They were the one, you know, everyone's second team. They were a fantastic side to watch. Loved watching them. Everyone was delighted for them. Wished they could just get get it over the line, and unfortunately, they were one rants away from uh, 
from 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 getting there from winning a title. Uh, Mike Ashley, being what Mike Ashley is, is a businessman first and foremost, and he ran it to make a profit to sell his brand. And 14 years, the fans have had to put up with uh, mediocrity. Managers coming and going, a merry-go-round of who's gonna, who's next. And with Rafa, you thought finally they've got a manager who's got a clue. Invest. And uh, no, it didn't happen. And Rafa did what he could with what he had, and the deal didn't go through. When was uh, just uh, Kev? Was it a surprise that Rafa worked for so long with Mike Ashley? I think he did three years or four years with a owner like Mike Ashley, and we know that yeah. Rafa, you know, has loves his tests with ownerships, even at Valencia, then Liverpool, even at Inter. Yeah, was it a surprise to you that he stuck it out for so long? I, th- I think with Rafa, he was he was waiting for the buyout to go through. Yeah. This deal was held up for a long time due to several reasons. There's uh, many people, lots matter to me, are going to will go delve into those reasons in the next weeks and months to come, and uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of shows to talk about those reasons. But I think Rafa waited as long as he could, and he just physically couldn't take it anymore. It was uh, it must have been a massive drain on him when he. I mean, the classic for me is you look at Joe Linton. Rafa was offered Joe Linton. He said no. He didn't want him. Rafa left and signed Joe Linton for crazy money. From Hoffenheim, wasn't it? Was it? You know what I mean? Yeah, on the back on the strength of six months of a good season in Germany, and I think Rafa got out when he knew that the deal was just going to be held up for too much longer. And you look at now, it's um, they're the cat that got the cream. They're going to be the next PSG, the next City, the next Chelsea, whatever, new money, blah, 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 who cares? I mean, at the end of the day, they're going to come in, they're going to try and invest. Hope I think for Newcastle fans' sake, I hope they've learned the lessons and the failures of Man City at the start. I hope they, having had so long to come through this, process that they have a director of football lined up ready to start on Monday with a clear plan of how to get to where they're going and a manager in with a managerial coaching staff in tow ready to start. It's it would be negligence of the highest order to let Steve Bruce manage that club into the next group of seven games. They're sat on after seven games with three points that's 14 games between now and the January window opening. They look like relegation fodder because the team that they're putting out under Steve Bruce is relegation fodder. I was on a show Wednesday night and I had them down as my losers of the week, knowing what that the deal had gone through. And I stuck with it because if they don't replace Steve Bruce, if they stick with Steve Bruce and go the sentimental route and think, yeah, this is the guy we're going to stick with him there's a real chance that they could get relegated, irrespective of who they think they can go and buy in January. Kieran, I wanted to come to you, um, and it's a good segue into Steve Bruce's tenure at Newcastle. I mean, a lot of fans didn't want him, but he sort of you know stabilised them, just similar to what Rafa did maybe, um, in terms of just keeping him afloat, but they surely need to replace him, isn't it? And you'd, you'd imagine that now was now is the sort of perfect time to replace him, but maybe... They might just see it through till maybe you know November, December, 
um, before they pull the trigger. Hopefully, they might be expecting, you know, results may change. Um, fans will now be, you know, on the up. But do you feel they might stick with Steve Bruce for a little longer? Or do you feel that his time's up? His time should be up. Whether it is up or not, I'm not 100% sure of because, I mean, we, we've had discussions. We've got 14 games between now and January. And is it a case of you bring a new manager in? I mean, I, I think it's all set up for Conte. And what what's interesting here today is there's small murmurs uh, this Saudi group that have purchased Newcastle looking at Inter Milan next. Mm. Now, if something as big as that happens is slightly different to the Red Bull perspective and the the murmurs of them purchasing to lose, they've obviously got a stakeholding in there through Cardinal. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting whether they allow Newcastle and a another to compete if that's what they want to do. Uh, I won't go into too much detail on what I think of the ethical side because I'm very contradictory. Uh, I'm happy for Newcastle fans. Uh, so I was born 89. First rivalry I remember is Fergie and Keegan. Yeah. Then the likes of Philip Albert lobbing Schmeichel from 25 yards, something that sticks with me. So I've always had a bit of a soft spot. Uh, and they were the original 13-14 Liverpool team. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what they did. Now, what they need to do and what they will do are two, potentially two very different things. Now, I think they'll stick with Bruce until probably mid-December. Second, that sort of transfer window's coming up. There have players earmarked. They've spoken to Conte. No, no doubt about that. So that'll be the next manager. Forget Gerard. I, I don't and see. I wanted to come to this free world. So he said, isn't Stephen Gerard the favourite for the Newcastle? He may be favourite in terms of the bookies, but it's a question I want to... I'll come back to you, Kieran, with this. Is it a job that you could see him maybe leaving Rangers mid-season? I don't... Think Gerard's no. the kind of type to leave the fan base like that, you know. You know, in the middle of the season, I think he will maybe stick stick till the end of the season. But is it a job that they might just come out and say, and Amanda Stavely, you know, a shrewd, smart businesswoman, will just come to the table and say, Stephen, look, we'll give you this much money next summer. We'll give you two years, get us into the top four, and then we'll we'll make a fist of it with the league, and we'll give you like you know two three hundred million. And I say two three hundred million because literally I can see them spending two hundred million you know, minimum next summer. You still don't uh, think Stephen Gerrard might not take it? It's a difficult one from a Gerrard perspective because he didn't jump straight into management uh, pro level. He obviously went through the under-18s and then the, he had a bit to do with the reserves for us before taking that job at Rangers. Now, the expectation on Newcastle is going to go through the roof and that's what I mean by them getting it right. Are they going to chuck money at it to try and fix a problem, paper over the cracks effectively? Or are they going to do a Man City and revolutionise the club from top to bottom? Because this is what's enabled us to compete for years. We, we worked on our foundation. 
And then we got the cherries by getting your Jurgen Klopp's, putting your Michael Edwards in the right position, so on. And that's what Newcastle will do, going out buying three eighty million pound players. It it's going to be so unbalanced. And yeah, I, I don't see it working. And they'll need, yeah, to get, definitely not they'll need to get rid of a few, uh, Kev, won't they? They'll need to get rid of a few players as well, because you can't just have a combustion squad, you know, full, and then, you know, you've got to get rid of the players as well. And they've brought sort of the Joe Willicks. And you think about players like Joe Willicks, you know, a young British talent who's coming to Newcastle, who had a great loan last season on um, the back end of the last sort of, three, four months of scoring goals galore from midfield. You know, what's, you know what, what, what happens to him now? You know, is he going to be a mainstay or just a squad player at Newcastle? I want to come to this question, because yesterday we... All agreed, sort of on the show. Um, we had Kendall on, who's an avid Newcastle fan. Then we had me, Grizz, and um, Tobin. We said that look, we're not happy for this. It's it's a weird one. We're not happy for the club because you know they've got they're gonna have this endless amount of money, and yeah, they're gonna compete with us. But we're happy for the fans, if that makes sense. Newcastle yeah. fans, I think we can all agree, have suffered. You know, have suffered for years on end. You know, with the Ashleys, with the manager um, appointments. You know, they've had some real duds coming um, to the club and manage them. I think we're all happy that you know they've finally got owners who will sort of spend lavishly. I want to come back to you, Kev, with this question: Does this make the league now? It will make it a better proposition for outside um, media's TV broadcasters all over the world. What does it mean for Liverpool Football Club now? Is it now that we've got, or maybe I want to come on to the FSG thing now. Um, do we now need to change strategy? Do they need to maybe look at taking out uh, substantial loans now? No. Does it get back into that sort of Hicks Gillette? Not as bad as that territory, but, you know, going and get, uh, taking loans against the club's name. What, what, what next for FSG and just on this Newcastle topic as well? It's a scary prospect that, this, that it is now state-sponsored football effectively. City did a good job in hiding it and deflecting it uh, away from direct, direct, directly away from this from the state, but this PIF group is an arm of the Saudi state. So how this got through the fit and proper persons test and how it got through that side of the, how the Premier League allowed this to happen in the first place is mind-boggling. Saying that, will FSG change? I think FSG might look to sell because there's catch-22 here. I don't think there's room to grow Liverpool's value more than what it is today. I think at the price they bought it to what the club is worth now, I don't think there's much more ceiling left for them to push it too much higher. Newcastle was bought for $300 million. Their ambition is going to be to turn Newcastle into the next three billion pound football club in in wealth, in value over the next 10, 20 years. And it'll take that long. Don't be under any illusion that they're three windows away from competing for titles. They're not. It, they still have to buy within the same structure as everyone else. They still have to have the same quotas as everyone else. You still have to have a certain amount of homegrown players. Then you got F FFP didn't go away. Ask Everton. All right. Now, when they have to live within the means of what the club revenue is, unless they go out and magically change the name of the stadium to something and the investment miraculously appears, 
then that's a bridge we'll have to cross down the road. I mean, at the moment, I think FSG have got a decision to make. Do they sell? Do they look for more investment in sales stake into, into their company, into Liverpool, while they retain a controlling interest? Someone at the very top comment at the very start of the show, how do we compete? We've been competing against state money and oil money for years. We've been winning. 100. We've been winning silverware. We've been competing, and we are competing against those odds now. Newcastle are just another obstacle. You know what we? How do we compete? We buy well. We buy smart. We keep investing in the youth academy, and you produce gems. You know, long-term, Liverpool is a global brand. Newcastle is a regional club. It's these, it's a one-city club with a population of 300,000 people, and they're the one show in town. Yeah, they're big news now, and they've got big money now. Then you've got to go and convince these world superstars, come and live in Newcastle. Great night out. Great, 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 great night out. Yeah, come and tell, tell your wife and bring your kids to come and live in Newcastle. Yeah. You know, it's cold. That was a great night out. I loved it. But oh yeah, but what I'm saying is, it's not it's not as straightforward as people think. Thank you. No, 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 of course. This isn't this isn't FIFA. This isn't like you go in and spam FIFA coins and you get your packs and you pack your Ronaldos and you send them out on the pitch and they just miraculously win. It doesn't work. Football isn't like that. Look at PSG. Watch them in the Champions League destroy Man City. Got, they didn't destroy Man City, but they got a, a win against Man City. The following weekend, they turned up against Wren. And they lost 2-0. They, they lost, it was 2-0, I think. 2-0, sorry. 2-0, and it could have been 4 or 5. Wren embarrassed them. They showed them up for what they are, which is a great group of individuals. They're not a team. And then I looked on LFC's Twitter accounts before we came on stream, and I watched the video of Klopp, the six-minute video of Klopp after the Champions League final. And I, I, no commentary, no influence, just watching Klopp and watching the reaction he has with the players and the interactions between the players themselves and him and the coaching staff. You that takes that takes years to build. You don't build that in five minutes. You don't build that in one transfer window. We're going to be fine. You know, Newcastle have got a lot of ground to make up. Will they be strong? Yeah. Will there be competition? Yeah. So what? And and I just want to read out Laura Duffy's comment, and she reiterates what you said, Kev. We're already competing against state-owned clubs, so I don't see FSG just throwing money at the club. It might be an evolution of what we're doing. And I want to come on this word evolution, Kieran, to you. Evolution, and we're seeing it now a little bit. Liverpool are more and more now investing in youngsters, like the likes of Bobby Clark, um, you know, the James Balagizi came from City, Cade Gordon, your man, um, and... Musielowski, is that what might be part of the plan now to invest in the best youth around in Europe, in England, get them over, um, and hopefully, like three, four, you know, by the time of 18, 19, 20, they, they make that grade? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was Sean a few months back brought up about your likes of Bellingham, etc., and we missed out on them. But we're, we're doing that now with. With that structure, takes a lot of time and patience, which where we're at the top of the game at the moment, we, we don't have, which is 
where where our debate comes in on FSG, so on. They're, we're one of the best free clubs in world football now. I truly believe that, and it's come up with the argument where we need bigger owners now who are going to plough more money in, and we're going to buy stars. So it's not that simple. I mean. Everyone says, oh, Newcastle being taken over now. Liverpool are going to drop out of the top four. United are going to drop out of the top four. It is so short-sighted. It, it takes years to get to consistency. Now, everyone says, sort of, Man City won a title within four years of Abu Dhabi taking them over. Yeah, they didn't really go on until probably the 17, 18 season when they've won their three out of the last four years. Before they're, that, still, they're still waiting for the, you know, elusive uh, Champions League as well. So that's what, uh, 13, 14 years, is it still? Yeah, exactly. That's, it's 13 years. It, it's so narrow-minded that everyone thinks money equals success. Now, we're at a stage in football where we, we've got states playing chess you got Abu Dhabi, you got Qatar, you got Saudis. Won't be long till there's someone from Bahrain. Won't be long till you get someone proper from Malaysia, not the ex Cardiff owner or Thailand. Mm. There's money literally everywhere. And these countries they're they're just taking each other on now and so there's so much narrow mindedness that money's gonna bring success and it it's not going to happen because, yeah, this gaffler of or Newcastle, 700 billion they're talking about now. They're not going to go out and spend 700 billion. They might spend half a billion, but that's still within the realms of a Man City, a PSG, or so on. Now, this is where I, I totally agree with what Laura says because I've been saying it for pretty much the whole summer. I'm an FSG loyalist, but they needed to evolve their model this summer. Now, they didn't do that on the eye, but perhaps they did in going down this 16, 17, 18-year-old, getting the best youngsters in Europe. You know, you say they went beyond the UK just before Brexit, and now they're targeting the best players in the UK, your Bobby Clarks, your Cade Gordons. It's not your Peter Lugas anymore, Mizzielowski's. Then I, I'm having discussions with people like Man City are doing khaki and players like that. I, I don't know fuck all about khaki. I, I'm not going to pretend I do. And half of them don't. But because he's Brazilian, he's 19, he's the next Neymar. But he may be the next Curdon. So uh, we don't know, do we? Yeah, yeah. No, got it. And... Another question from KD. Yes, I think that's agreeing with what you're saying, um, Kieran and Kev. But long term, what do we do now? We'll fast forward a little bit. Say Klopp does leave in 2024. Mm-hmm. Will FSG have to change the policy as well in terms of, you know, maybe they'll just have to loosen those purse strings for the new manager? Um, you know, because there was sort of wide, it was widely expected that we were meant to sort of spend quite a substantial amount this season. You know, we were too mm-hmm. short. I think we all agree on that. We yeah. were too short. And maybe January we might, you know, scout out what's there in Europe. But 
I'm talking about post clock now. What is the long term vision now? Um, it might just be that FSG decide to sell up maybe a year early, or maybe have investment come in, or maybe even say, you know what, club's gone. We'll wait for a new manager to come in, but we'll make sure the next sort of custodians who take over the club are, you know, as good in terms of success or obviously better than how they've run it. Kev, your thoughts? Yeah, I think the way they're going to do it is along the lines of the next director of football that replaces Edwards that comes in. It's going to be his job to appoint the next the next manager. So we yeah. know that's going to be um, Julian Ward, isn't it, Kieran? Yeah, more than likely. Yeah. But the, he's going to decide the structure of the club for the next, his tenure, which should be 10 years, you know, effectively. Then he's going to appoint the coach to work within that structure. And his job is going to be to make us competitive. Now, if that means that we have to go out and spend money to make us competitive, fine. You know, FS, people think FSG are tight. The first thing that FSG did when they took over the Boston Red Sox, the very first thing they did is they went out and bought Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens at the time, and it was the biggest free agents free agency in baseball ever when they went out and did it. They delivered success. Yes, it's going to be up and down. We don't have a divine right to win anything, but what we do expect is to be competitive. We expect to compete. Now, we didn't go out and spend huge money when we went out and bought Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, Bobby Firmino, we went and bought the right players to fit what the club needed and how the club wanted to play. That's the model that's going to continue. It's not a case we're going to go out and buy the next £100 million player. We're going to buy, go out and say, right, we need a central midfielder who in two years' time is going to replace Jordan Henderson. So we're going to go out and spend to replace that player in how that player is going to play. Same with a forward, same with a defender. It's the exception. Virgil van Dijk was the exception to the rule because we dithered with him. We ended up having to wait for him. But he was the exception to the rule. We had to address two positions urgently. Keeper, centre-back. They were vital. And the FSG have been consistent in everything they've said all the way through. If something has to be done, they'll go and do it. And people will say, yes, to continue money, this, that, and the other. But you know what? They maximized the finance they got in on a player who had a bad back and wanted to go. They got 140-odd million for that guy. And he and this is a guy who wanted to leave. Do you know what I mean? I can't remember too, too many times FSG forcing a player to leave unless they asked to. You know, yeah. FSG so, haven't, have never forced a player to leave. The four big... Sot Sales, Torres, Suarez, Coutinho, and Sterling. Hey, sorry, yes. Sterling. Sterling. Yeah. But what do they all have in common? They all asked to leave. Yeah, and they were all before the club tenure, bar Philip Coutinho, who mm. was disillusioned. And really, who could blame him? We had the 2013-14 season. You lose Suarez. 2014-15, awful. 2015-16, we end up finishing eighth with UEFA Cup final. And it, it was very easy to be disillusioned at different points in this tenure with FSG. And that was whether you allowed a process to take place. 
what Klopp said when Coutinho went, go to Barcelona and be somebody or stay at Liverpool, be a legend. He took the easy way out. Now, the, the answer to everything isn't throw money at it all the time. Yeah, it does help. But the lights of City have been so astute and so were Chelsea when they first came into money. You look at the signings they made for every Hernan Crespo and Andrei Shevchenko, they had a Joko and Damien Duff. Yeah. Very good players, but in terms of the world game, absolutely no chance. Buying superstars doesn't work all the time. Barcelona have proved that in going downhill. They followed the Galactico model, which failed for Real Madrid, which allowed Barcelona to take over in Spain. It and that was through the La Masaya Academy as well. How many came through yeah. during that era? You know, Messi, the Chavis, Iniesta. I know Chavis quite a few years back than Iniesta's, than the Pedri Rodriguez. So you know, yeah. they that that was majority of it was from the La Masaya um, Academy. And they've got a cracking set of youngsters from La Masaya and also Pedri. They got from Las Palmas, but they out of contract in 2023 and at the moment they can't afford to give them new contracts that's what happens when you're giving 17 year old kids 74 grand a week is the answer to everything is not money it certainly helps but it's not the answer and I want to come to there's a comment that Abu Third said we've got history and a worldwide falling because of what Shanks created and how Bob had us play the game. That doesn't happen nowadays. The same goes for United. I want to come back to something that you just touched upon, Kieran. Um, wages and youngsters. Uh, Kev, should there be a salary cap? Okay, it's hard to have a you know a salary cap for all, but a salary cap for youngsters under the age of 21 because. With Newcastle now, every youngster that they will try to poach and buy, they'll be offering them silly money, isn't it? Mm, I you think know, we, singing, I think on. we have one. No, no, as, it's, as, it's, as, it's, as, a, as a ruling, no. Yeah, I think we have an unofficial one where they will they pay youth academy players, or once they come on to their first contracts and their next contract up, there's a ceiling to what the club will, are willing to pay. But um, I think legally, it's impossible. Um, because to do it, it would have to be global and it would have to be across continents and across jurisdictions. I, do you know what? I don't, I don't like the idea of wage caps because at the end of the day, if you go to see a Tom Hanks film and Tom Hanks is the star of the film, Tom Hanks gets a percentage of the money and there's no cap on what Tom Hanks earns. If you're going to see a Premier League club with a top, Liverpool, Man City, whoever, you're going to see the stars play. The, you're not, you know, the club is one thing and you have loyalty and what have you, but the, the stars are the players. And they're the ones who create the they're the ones who create the who generate the income. Now, I don't think that I would hate to see a situation where the players are wages were capped and the owners cream the money. Because the one thing that's consistent is the ticket prices aren't going down. TV revenue to our sky bill is not going to go down anytime soon. Right, it's going up. You know, so the money's going to go somewhere. And as much as it, it sickens me seeing people earning six figures a week, it's, it's disgusting as 
in this day and age when you see a country that has more food banks than McDonald's. And we're on here having a chat tonight about players earning 350 grand a week. It's so it and it's the people's game. Uh, it doesn't sit right with me. Should there be a cap? No, but look, everyone has to come across that bridge themselves, or that morality question. Because come the next kickoff, we're all going to be screaming and shouting for Mo Salah and Sadio Mane. We don't give a shit how much they are. They are. Truth, yeah. truth is old. We don't yeah. care. Kieran, a question from uh, Adred. Thank you for the question. Question for the three of you. Um, I'll let you answer it, Kieran. If you were a top player, non-Liverpool fan, would you play for Klopp for less money or any other manager? And that's a tough question because we know now players no, are very. No, I, I tell you why. I tell you why, Kieran. Players are very highly influenced by Raiola. Now, one of Raiola's tactics to uh, get agents, players on board to his agency is he will give them a framework of, say, look, the next 10 years, you can go and play for the club of your desire, but you'll only earn this much. Whereas if you want to, if you have a 10-year span or a 15-year span in this game, if you follow my lead, I'll make you this much. That's why I think it's a great question. I, I know what my answer would be. But I'll get go to you first, Kieran. What would you do? Would you play as a non-Liverpool fan as well? So you could probably support New York Giants, whoever you support in the MLS. But <laughs> non-Liverpool fan, would you play for Klopp for less money or any other manager? Uh, me individually, Klopp for less money. So it is, we live in a very greedy world. Now it, it says a lot about you as a person. Uh, we're not talking about people scraping the barrels, as Kev said. So it's a, a very healthy lifestyle playing for hundred grand a week as well as it is paying for playing for half a million. Now it for my personality, that's what it all comes down to. I'd want to achieve my maximum potential and in turn potentially become a legend somewhere. But it is very easy to be influenced when numbers are put in front of you. But the, the numbers we're talking about now, we're not talking about the 90s when, at the time, I mean, Paul Merson come out of his gambling habit in the 90s, squandered £7 million. We're not talking about £7 million anymore. Yeah. We're talking about £100 million, £120, £130. It, the numbers are just astronomical. They've gone beyond inflation. Uh, I, I was intrigued to look at something that actually came about as a debate So uh, about Liverpool's model with finance. I look back to when we signed Kenny Dalglish in 77. Did he come from... Was it Scunthorpe, Kev? Dalglish? No, no, Keegan. Keegan. Celtic. 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 Uh, 440 grand we signed Dalglish for after selling Keegan for 500,000. The next two years would go on to win the Ballon d'Or at Hamburg. 440,000 pounds in 1977 is now worth 1.76 million. It's four times inflation. We're talking about individual players getting 20 times inflation over 20 years. It's kind, of the I mean, return, it's kind of the returns yeah. you get on crypto right now at the moment, uh, Kieran. <laughs> but yeah, go on. But, but yeah, it's, uh, this is where agents 
I have total respect for Kevin De Bruyne and the approach he took for his contract renewal. He's maximised what he's going to get, but he put the time in to get the right people to analyse his performance, tell Man City what he can bring to them. No agent involved, negotiated a new 450 grand a week contract. Someone like that, I don't begrudge because there's not an agent dictating to him what he is and isn't going to do. The problem is agents are coming into the game with players at 11, 12 years old. We're, we're not on about getting established people where they've had a three, four-year career. It's starting to sort of progress a bit. It, it's When we talk about owners and the ethical side of it, the ethics of football away from our tribalism to whoever we support is disgusting. It's nothing short of immoral at all levels. I mean, I put out a tweet, there's a lad at AC Milan. 30 years old, yeah. scored 247 goals in 60 games. Why the hell is that getting out at 13 years old? That That's the sort of figure a father should keep. But no... Well, to be honest, it maybe is a father who's going to use an agent at that age to get him a nice sponsorship deal. That that rem- that story that story you've just told me about that Milan kid because I saw it on your t- timeline feed that reminded me of uh, Bojan Kerkic. He yeah. scored like five hundred and forty-seven or fifty goals in academy level, and everyone was saying the next Messi. And look how his career dwindled down. You know, yeah. you get into that hype, and the players they get sort of brainwashed as well by that hype, and they don't develop as they should. Um, but with this, this comes back to Van Dijk and the Blackpool Tower story. You know, he could have gone to play for Chelsea, had 200k off a week, or exactly. gone to City and had 250 a week off the bat back in 2017-18. But the player waited um, because Klopp had drummed it into him. Look, come to Liverpool. These what I'm building. These what I'm developing. And within three years, you'll be talked about as one of the best players. Forget about defenders, but one of the best players in the world. Kev, I think your answer is pretty straightforward, but do you want to give me your... Uh, yeah, it would, and it wouldn't matter if it was Klopp. No. If you're good enough to play for that calibre of manager, you're never going to put your hand in your pocket and feel your leg again. You know what I mean? It ain't about money. When it gets to that, when, you, when you're at that level, it ain't about money. It's, it's silverware, medals, legacy. And at the end of the day, if someone is... Let's be honest, if someone's greedy enough to move for money at that level, knowing what we know about the world and knowing what we know about the value of a pound or a dollar, I got no time for that. It's just yeah. not it's just not me. I but at the end of the day, if I was fortunate enough to be in that position to play for a Klopp, a Guardiola, uh you name it, then yeah, I'd be happy. I'd be a happy bunny. Are the are, and these questions to both of you are young still still are, are youngsters still the same compared to maybe United's kids uh, under Fergie, where yeah. the Beckhams, the Nevilles, the Giggs, they came through, but they listened to Fergie and they said, you know what, this is, this is the club for me to stay and develop and improve my game. Or are we living in a world where a youngster will see a bit of money and think, you know what, I'll jump ship. I'll jump to see. You see 17, 18 you know who are in an academy like a Sterling, but by the age yeah. of 17, I'm not saying Sterling, for example, Bobby Duncan comes to mind. Laura Duffy is it's a uh, great. Yeah, it's a, he thought he was 
ready for first team football or being in and around the first team squad. He gets yeah. sold a story by Saif Ruby. They put out a, a media story saying we've chained him to, you know, the chambers or something. Klopp's chained him and he, he, he wants to release, goes to Fiorentina. It's worked out horribly wrong for him. He sacked Saif Ruby in the process, comes back to Derby, can't get a look in in their first team. A failed move to Denmark. It, it has changed a lot, hasn't it, Kev? In terms of it, the d- dynamics from the kids from the night. Yeah, it has. But then I look at Marcus Rashford and the picture that he had today with the academy and the structure that United have. And if you've got a good academy with a good academy director, um, you can curb off a lot of this influence uh, relatively early. But you have to be sh- you have to have the backing of the club a hundred percent. There can't be any dithering and there can't be any guesswork about it. It's the club have a structure and a plan in place for every player to and a pathway. And as long as players see a pathway to the first team, if they're good enough, and a manager who's willing to pick them, then their heads won't get turned. And if they do get turned, then there's Bobby Duncan, there's Phil Coutinho, there's Jeannie Wijnaldum. How's the grass on their side of the fence today? You know? Maybe Liverpool and the academy structure and the management of the club really do know what they're talking about. You know, uh, the proof is in the pudding when you look at the performances of players who've left. I can think of it on one hand, the players who have left Liverpool and their careers have kicked on. Luis Suarez is top of the list, but it's a very short list. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, we when Klopp arrived six years ago, we were a skipping stone to a destination club. We are now a destination club. And players around the world, kids around the world, are influenced not by watching Match of the Day, not by reading the back of a newspaper. Kids around the world growing up are influenced by the superstars that are playing in for their countries. And they're influenced by video game. And they want to be that player on FIFA. They want to play in those stadiums that they see, they play on on their video game. And that's their influence. And the future 20 years, you're going to have kids growing up following players, in a large part, over clubs. And you're seeing it with Kylian Mbappe, more so now than ever before. Where a player, where fans will flock to a player, not the club, and you'll see it when he moves to Madrid. It's the like Kieran, it's like Kieran with Kate Gordon. He was a Derby fan, now he's a Liverpool fan, isn't he, Kieran? So uh, no, I totally get what you mean. It's more of a now a player sort of fan, and it, we've seen it on Twitter, Kev, all summer. You know, why aren't we yeah. going in for Sancho? Why aren't we going for M- Mbappe? You know, loads of fans didn't. Like you would think that Michael Edwards' job didn't exist at all with the way we recruit. They don't want to hear the Minaminas. They want star names. Um, Kieran, back to you. Um, Jerome Sinclair comes to mind as well. Another, you know, was told that, look, stay, sign a new contract, but he goes off to Watford and then now he's yeah. stuck in Venlo, Triple V, somewhere in the Eredivisie, Dutch League 2 or something like that. Um, and it's a short career as well. You've got to remember it's a short career for players. And one bad move, 
you're always playing catch-up. And we've seen it with Bobby Duncan, the Sinclairs, and other youngsters from other clubs. Josh McCracken, a Chelsea youngster, a class youngster who's on 50k a week as a 19-year-old, you know, just went out on loan, didn't get going, couldn't find a club, and I don't know where he is now. I think he's at um, Middlesbrough. But a quick final word on this, Kieran. Um, youngsters in Fergie, they didn't have agents like today. Back then, it was more the players' fathers who were looking after, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a famous story about Fergie going down to Leitenstein to meet, is, is it Terry and Patricia Beckham, David Beckham's parents? And that, that was the furthest he ever brought someone in from. He, he heard about this kid who everyone at the time wanted. Beggs, I think Beggs was on the books at Tottenham before United. But beyond that, so any other players I can think about, whereas Keith Gillespie yeah. was another one that Fergie personally met, and even Robbie Savage. People forget Savage came through United's youth team. And yeah. it, then you look at, beyond that, the class of 92, you got Phil and Gary Neville, Barry. You had Giggsy, North Wales. You had, what, Nicky Butt. They're, they're all local. So it, it took a very special player in the young days to make, to go to a United, go to a Liverpool, Jamie Redknapp, signing for Liverpool from Bournemouth. Bournemouth yeah. It's all to do with parents and they have a holding within football or around football. And now you've got Mino Ryder, Buddy, whoever, to be honest, they're dictating what kids are doing. I wouldn't let them anywhere near my kids. Yeah. No, if good. any talent towards football, no chance. Good point, good point. It's been brilliant because we touched upon youngsters and it wasn't on our topic, but I do want to come to this next uh, topic. So obviously with Newcastle now, City still sort of needing a nine. Chelsea may go dip in the market in January. Are we expecting a big January more than an, a usual one from previous um, winters in regards to clubs maybe wanting to spend that bit? that much more and do you think and I know I've asked you Kev yeah. um, and we were on uh, Callum so I'll ask Kieran do you envision us doing any kind of business Kieran? Uh, there's murmurings of it in what Klopp said about it AFCON and uh, we need to sort a solution as whether we go for a certain player or we've got your Addy Amy's earmarked or if you can entice them Seems like he wants to go to Germany as a stepping stone again before that big move, in which case probably rules Liverpool out of his career. But I think there will be something. There won't be the masses that everyone's expecting. What will be interesting is what the average transfer fee is over the next 18 to 24 months because you've now got four proper worldwide so a club can offer serious amounts of money. I mean, PSG have done it this summer without buddy spending a penny. But I think it was only Hakimi that was uh, that they paid a transfer fee for, right? Yeah, seventy-two million for Hakimi. But uh, you got Donnarumma, Messi, Ramos, Wijnaldum, uh, Wijnaldum, 
As I mean, everyone forgets that there's more to football than transfer fees. But yeah, if you sign someone for thirty million, are you a cheapskate? But when you're paying agents thirty million and paying twenty five million pound sign on fees, the the thing is, all we see is a big transfer number. That's all that's reported on. You're not reported on the build up of the contracts. Such a fickle sport. We get told what they want us to know. Yeah, it'd be interesting if they turned around and announced, right, the transfer fee or the package for XYZ players. Exactly, yeah. Including transfer fee. This is what the combined wages is for the five years plus agents fees. There's your total package for how much a player is. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo's two years at at Old Trafford on 700 grand a week. That's a sizable chunk of change, every which way you look at it. You know, it's there's no such thing as a free transfer because report Pogba reportedly wants twenty million signing on fee. That's just to stay where he is. Well, chance, 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 uh, um, chance signing on fee to Juventus was fourteen million. Okay. Yeah, that's Emery Chan. That's what I mean. Pogba but Chan left million. for free. You didn't yeah. rocks. <laughs> you you <laughs> look at Ramsey four hundred grand a week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, they, they want to get rid of him now. Yeah. Are we going to be recruiting in January? No. And if we do, it's going to be because we've had a catastrophic injury somewhere. The reason being, you look at Kanate. I think Kanate is going to be a fantastic defender, but we're in October and Kanate has kicked a ball once in anger. It takes time. You don't, yeah. Klopp won't sign a player in the 1st of January to play a game on the 8th. It's just not. Unless you're Virgil van Dijk, Kev. Yeah, but I know. Look, there is one on twenty seventh so, December, are we? Yeah, so unless he's gone out signing Robert Lewandowski in January, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Unless you're fine, you're signing the ready-made article, then you're not. It's not going to happen. The one player I find is going to be in high demand. And I think is going to be well worth a watch. Is whether it's us or Newcastle or whoever is Ivan Tony. I think Ivan Tony is going to go in January somewhere. Former Newcastle uh, player, Kev. Mm. Yeah. Whether he wants to go back there or what, I don't know. But at the end of the day, if you're Newcastle United and you need someone to score you goals, you want, you want a number nine who knows where the back of the net is and you've got, say, Maximin around him, he's ideal. I think he'd be ideal for us. I think he'd be an absolute rocket for us as an option. But would Brilliant. he be willing... Yeah, would he be willing to be an option for us or would he want to go to Newcastle and start and be there at the start at the ground level coming in? But there are going to be players like that out there now at that level. Donny van der Beek is another one. Yeah, oh, I mean? He desperately needs a move away, he, doesn't he? You know, yeah, there's going to be players around in January that are going to be etching, their, getting onto their agents in October now. So look, if there's any slight possibility that I can get to Newcastle in January start start pushing it now you know and Newcastle for all their celebrating yesterday you watch what happens come January 1st they're no different to Chelsea fans and they're no different to Man City fans when the when the push comes to shove they're going to want instant success and I don't care what their mantra is whether they turn around and say yeah we're willing to wait we're we believe in the project yeah we believe in the project but get us content you know, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's, that's the, if they believed in the project, they go and get Graham Potter and they build. Yeah. 
They don't want Going back to they, they want Conte. They want Man City. They want the league in four years. And they're going to be screaming from the top of the Gallagher to get their moves. And the pressure will the pressure will come. And then we'll, see how, we'll see how it goes. Going back to Avi's question anyway about Liverpool, the one I'm interested to see if it rears its head again is Chiesa. Because okay. of the start Juve have had to the season, I know he's turned us down. Uh, I still think the negotiations are with Fiorentina rather than Juventus. But the, the way they've started the season, they, they don't seem to have that click. I don't see them as When they got the manager back in as well. That, that's, it surprised me that they're stuck in the mud as much as they are. Hmm. They brought Allegri back. They've won the um, last two, though, haven't they? They won the last two. They yeah, beat Chelsea, but, so they're, I think they're. On yeah, the it came from one 0 down to beat Spezia two one. Yeah, they're, they're really one. struggling. They're really struggling. I was, was going to mention Luis Diaz, but the, the <laughs> he's, a, he's just, got to be another one. I think know? I should keep my mouth shut because Kieran obviously doesn't rate him based on one game. But hey, that's fine. I've only seen him play once. Yeah. Man. <laughs> I think the one player that we said that maybe, um, and he's an exciting youngster, is Karim Adeyemi. If yeah, you know, if if Salzburg get out of the Champions League, it might be easier. If we are interested, that is, but I would imagine that we would be getting in for like maybe 30, 35 right now. I think Salzburg said something that he is he has got a price. I think they're looking for about thirty million. So let's see how it pans out. I think that. a lot of people are saying Germany back to Bayern. So yeah. maybe one of those ones, guys. Okay, the big one. Um, enough of footy. This is a all sort of sports show. And I've brought Kieran because we've gone back and forth on the Joshua Usyk rematch and why it should happen, why it shouldn't happen. Um, Kieran is—he's got his opinions. Um, I don't agree with them entirely, um, but <laughs> that's nothing new because we don't usually agree on the same thing. But Kev, we'll come to you. Um, mm. First of all, I, I don't think we've caught up since the fight. Um, I, no. I, I know we've exchanged messages. I, yeah, on but I haven't—we haven't had a proper chat about the about the fight. Um, yeah. Usyk was I brilliant. Usyk was brilliant. Yeah, I think I said it on the pod. I think it'll be Joshua early or Usek on points because Usek is was uh, he's just a classy boxer, you know. He Joshua tried. You can't box Usek. He's too damn good. Do you know what I mean? He he's his mastery of distance is up there with anyone, anyone you care to mention. He's naturally evolved and developed his body organically to be a full-flown heavyweight at six foot three, and he's got enough power to demand his opponent respect. Yeah, you know he's he's got a, he's got enough of it. He might not knock. He had to have the one punch knockout, but he's got the one punch that will get through often enough to uh, deter you into. Uh, Maybe thinking twice or three times before you uh, unload on him. Uh, I thought it was a masterful performance. Um, not surprised. Not surprised. Disappointed in myself that I didn't bet on it. The, but, I just want to come on to this. He looked comfortable at heavyweight, Kieran um, Usyk. He didn't look uh, sure or he didn't look, you know, there wasn't any worries. With Joshua, and we were getting little clips of, obviously, when he was going back to his stool at the end of the round. Um, was he getting the right information from McCracken in terms of round by round? Or because I just kept hearing you're doing fine, you're doing well, just keep pushing a little bit, you know, up the pace a little bit. But it wasn't like they weren't demanding anything from him. 
Um, but I want to get your thoughts on the Joshua Usyk fight because I know you've got a, a few. Well, you were there. Got a few chests. Yeah. yeah, great atmosphere as well. From the yeah, cracking atmosphere. I'll give him that. Uh, I haven't seen sort of between the rounds. I've seen sort of Sky Sports playback round by round. Uh, my thoughts on the night seeing it is going into it. I was, I was pretty much the same as Kev. It'll be Joshua mid-round stoppage or it'll be Usyk points. And the reason being, Usyk's two biggest strengths are AJ's two biggest weaknesses. Uh, and that's movement and coming on strong the second half of the fight. AJ absolutely hates that. Now, uh, I didn't understand AJ's tactics. It, it didn't make sense. Uh, you, you watch the fight back and watch the first three rounds. Joshua got through with one jab in each round with right hand. It, you just watch how far sort of Usyk went back on his feet. But then from round four onwards, so it was like it was choreographed and Usyk was countering with the left all the time. It was, it was open. Uh, and you go into the last rounds. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the time in there and whether it lasted. I still think it was off. I know we went over this on WhatsApp. I still yeah. think it was five seconds shorter. Nah, it's, it, you you look at it, they had six seconds of hugging and kissing before sort of ref let him fight in the 12th round. But it, it was a left hand. It was getting through all night and... AJ's technique is very mechanical. Now, me and you have had quite a few chats on the the way the scheduling should go. I think that's been thrown up in the air. I don't know what to think now by WBC ordering the winner of uh, Wilder Fury to fight White, White unless yeah. the Undisputed's announced ends. But my immediate force where you take the rematch or just a quick one before you continue and hold your thought just a second why does it always feel in boxing they're throwing up different scenarios like you like you mentioned white white wasn't in the picture two weeks ago now all of a sudden the fury wilder winner now has the potential to meet why like what is going on because I, I i honestly don't know i really too do many know. commissions sanctioning bodies yeah it's more like it. ufc where there's one overarching you might get a franchise champion if a champion's in recess. But yeah, when you've got mandatories from IBF, WBO, WBC, WBA, it's, it's just mad. The first thing they should have been looking to do once we got into a top tier of heavyweight boxing, do what they did with the middleweights, and Bantam weights, but he's super series. Yeah, yeah. I like yeah. the I like the was it the middleweight one, the Carl Frock, the um Kessler the George, one they did eight, yeah, yeah, super middleweight. George Rose Callum Smith was the super middleweight. Yeah. Uh, but even like Usyk and Gassiev, uh the the best for the best ends we're we're at a period where we're I think Fury is the best heavyweight out of all of them. I'm an AJ fan, but Fury is the best. I've, I've got no qualms in saying that. But 
for for me get them all in and around take the organizations out of it get them in a world boxing super series they pick who they want to fight the so-called easiest and then best or outlast everyone else and it's worked with everyone it worked a super middleweight it worked a uh but the E6 I think that is uh, a, a it, it works with a new way in Don Air, a weight. It's that model is perfect for boxing as a whole. I think COVID may have put a spanner in the works for it happening. But this is where I've got a lot of respect for Eddie Hearn. He he saved boxing in COVID times for smart. me. Another smart, smart businessman, yeah. He's got his critics, but he kept boxing worthwhile. I don't know. If, I don't know if you saw it, Kieran. Um, so he gets called out. Someone calls him a word and he's going back to the dressing room and the fans, he's called him out and he goes back to the fan. He goes, what'd you say? What'd you say? And the guy just didn't have anything. So he goes, yeah, I thought so. He kept your mouth shut now. Haven't you? I was, I'll send you the clip. It's on Twitter. It's going People out. forget Eddie Hearn, six foot five. Yeah. He's a big old lad. Yeah. His dad's a well-known, uh, He's as a well-known man as well around London, Lane Orient way. But um, okay, I'm gonna plan out a little scenario. Wilder knocks out. Knocks out. Wilder beats Fury. Do we then have the potential? Does it make it easier to make a Fury Joshua fight then? Or Joshua obviously has said that he wants a rematch. Regardless of what happens in the rematches against Usyk, would it be good for boxing? And it's not me saying that I want Fury to lose. Yeah. Would it be good for boxing that Wilder beats Fury on Saturday night, or do we see Fury disactivating another rematch and going with Fury Part Four? I think the way it's structured at the minute, this is the end for this trilogy. There isn't uh, anything in the contracts for another okay. fight, win, lose, or draw. It doesn't matter which way it goes. The other side of this is Wilder's thirty-seven. So if he does win, he might have one more fight in him and before he starts to think about calling it a day. So for you know, if he turns around, say he does win, then he's forced to fight a mandatory. Okay. Or he negotiates to fight a Usek for as and maybe retires undisputed champion. The other scenario, that's that would leave Fury with only one option, with AJ. But there's nothing on that. There's no belts on it. It's just uh, bragging rights. So Battle of Britain, basically. So what? Who cares? I mean, so at the end of the day, it's, it's a, times over. Yeah, but it's a money fight at the end of the day. That's all it is. You're only fighting for the money. There's no belt. And they're, at the end of it, they could have a round robin between the two of them, fight three times, and it would sell out Wembley ten times over. And the TV companies would bid, bid up to the high heavens for it. I could see it being in, held in Saudi, Kev. Yeah, that's the scary yeah, thing. There would yeah. be one. And for I can see it. for your scenario, Kieran, about a super series, it would need that level of money because you're dealing with heavyweights. It's not the same as dealing with bantamweights and the, the welterweights and the like, the super middleweights because the money isn't in those divisions. The heavyweight division is the money division. It always has been, always will be for as long as I've got a hole in my backside. So you have to look at the division as a whole. Is there eight fighters in that division right now 
over the next three to five years to justify a knockout competition between eight fighters, and I think there is. I think the heavyweight division is so strong at the minute. The, there there's is. a wild card in there in Babbage. Yeah. yeah. He is the wild card. The Croatian, right? Kieran Croatian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a good boxer. It's, it's manic to watch him in the punches he throws, but... I would love to see this a series like that. Um, the only thing is, would the promoters be willing to shelve their percentage, their slice of the pie to uh, have it? Well, you've got because... Todd Rank versus Design Avenue. That's pretty much it. I think Wild is freelance pretty much. Yeah. AJ's obviously designed now. Fury's got two fights left, I think, with top rank. Uh, Dylan White's freelance. Uh, Babbage is the wild card. You, you can bring Avi's old mate, his sparring partner, Ortiz, into it as well. But he's yeah. 58 years dangerous. old. No, he's, he's a dangerous fight. He's well, you've got Daniel Dubois. You've got... Um, Joe Joyce, my friend. Joe Joyce. Yeah. You've got... This is what I mean. The heavyweight division... Hasn't been this strong, I'd say, since decades. mid 90s. Yeah, mid 90s. No, I'd say go back further. I think you're going back into the 70s to see the heavyweight division this deep. I didn't mind, um, like, Kev, that was before my time. Yeah, Kevin. I mean, you, you'd have to be a boxing historian to go back and look at the fights that Ali and Fraser and Foreman had, mm-hmm. not just with each other, but when you throw in the likes of Ken Norton into the mix. And yeah. Eddie Shavers and was it Henry Cooper and Henry yeah. Cooper in the late sixties? But I mean, I'm on about the, during the 1970s. You go and look at Ali's, Fraser's, Foreman's record, and look who they beat, and look who they all fought that are combined. You know that they all fought, all three fought against these fighters. Yeah. The depth was really there in the division back then. I think that depth is there now. And it doesn't come along. Is it this maybe happens once or once in a generation? This doesn't happen. This is rare, you know. Mm-hmm. And as fans, I think if you want to get fans back in love with boxing and away from UFC, then you have to give the fans what they want when it's hot, not too five years down the line. Political when, promoters, too many political promoters. But the yeah. fighters can the fighters can make this happen. Yeah, the fighters can push this if they want it. I mean, the thing is, we we all as fans feel like we were robbed of Pacquiao and get that scumbag. Come on, the, right. the, the Mayweather, Mayweather Pacquiao fight. We were robbed five years fans. too late. Yeah, yeah, we were robbed mm-hmm. as fans, and we were robbed of so many fights through the years. Well, you know, Kev, we were robbed of Eubank and Ben for a while as well. I know they had the second fight, but. They could have done that so um, much quicker. Joe Calzaghi and uh, Roy Jones. Roy Jones, yeah. yeah. And B-Hop yeah. as well. Bernard yeah, Hopkins the, as well. The, the list is endless, but I think this is one thing with pay-per-view and the zone especially. The, the fan power that you have now comparing to what... Because at the end of the day, fans have a voice now and access to media through social media and interactions on channels like this to speak about how they really feel, whereas before we were relying on boxing pundits on BBC Five Live or TalkSport and the print media that were in the back of the the back of the papers as an afterthought. You know, nowadays, if boxing fans really want this, 
really want something like this to happen, it can happen, but they have to push it. You know, and I really hope it does. I'd love to see it. Yeah, no, I agree. We're going to come to predictions. Um, it's a hard one to predict. I saw videos earlier on of Wilder, saw some different angles from his sort of arms, punching the bags and doing a bit of sparring. I'm still going to go with Fury. I think Fury gets the job done, I think, on points this time around. I don't think there's enough in Wilder, especially with what a... When was the last time they fought? He's been out of the ring a long time. 2020, wasn't it? 2020 was the second fight. Uh, or was it 2019? 2020, I think, was the second fight, wasn't it? Wilder's yeah. second fight. With the Fury. Was it 2019 or 2020? Laura, was it? Uh, the, fir- the first one was on December the 1st. There must have been... There may have been 2019. Then the rematch was in a February, I think. Maybe last year. Just yeah. before I saw a lockdown. I'm going to go with Fury on points. Might put a few uh, few pennies on it tomorrow. I think the weigh-in, the weigh-in is going to be fascinating. Yeah. If, if Fury comes in heavy... Oh, he will do that, Kevin. No, no, no. Though. Yeah, but there's heavy and there's heavy. Because it depends on how heavy he comes in. If he only comes in saying he's eight, six, eight pounds heavier than what he was last time, that means he's trained properly. And I think he stops him in five rounds. I think they're saying 12 to 15 pounds heavier. If he comes in... If he comes in bloated or any more than, you know, if he comes in over what his normal weight is, then anything's possible. Yeah, it's weird because the second fight, Fury came in 18 pounds heavier than the first fight, 19.7. And Wilder was his heaviest, he'd put on 17.5 pounds. Obvious intention uh, that they were going for the knockouts, but. For me, Fury wins by KO, but he will hit the floor. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Fury come back. will, we'll will come back up like the Undertaker as well, like he did in the first fight. <laughs> Incredible. That is that for that to this day, right? And I've watched boxing throughout the years, like last what 25, 30 years. I've never seen a knockout like that, and the person's got up like that. No, never seen it. I've never, never seen someone's like head spin like that. And is, is and this, it's as if he up. waited for the seven, eight count, yeah. and then he got up. It's the thing. He yeah. got knocked out, but he knew where he was. And he's just breathing, you, catching his breath, and he gets up. Incredible. A different referee on another night calls that, that off. off. Waves yeah. that off. A different referee waves that off. He was a lucky boy that night. Very lucky. And the he's thing is, lucky. I think he won. I mean, they, they called it a draw. I think he won that hand. Oh, he, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, won that he, he, won, he, he won that hand. He won that handsome. He got, the, he got that. Got up like the Undertaker, yeah. Have <laughs> your, your prediction? Uh, I think if... Uh, Fury knockout fifth round. I think I, I think Wilder. I don't think Wilder's ever had a hard fight. You know, I think that he Fury is head and shoulders a better boxer, and he's stronger. And as long as his mentality is right and his frame of mind is focused, and he doesn't go into the ring angry. But determined, I think he ends it whenever he wants. He's that damn good. Last thoughts, Kieran? Uh, yeah, I pretty much said it. I think Fury wins by knockout, but he, he will hit a canvas. So a while technically, some people said he queues up these shots. He's He's just got that equaliser, hasn't he? He's got the, he's got the power, yeah. yeah. He's got the oh, power. Yeah, he's got the power. 
you can have all the skill you want, but if you if you've got one punch KO, he's the only one in the heavyweight division with true one punch KO power. No, I agree. Definitely yeah. agree. It'll Guys, that's watch. that's been a great show. And tomorrow I'm sure the comments will be popping off in our WhatsApp mm. chat prehand. Um don't I'm forget sure. to check yeah, don't forget to check out the F one on Sunday. Hamilton's after taking a 10th place penalty grid. Penny, they swapped the, the, the yeah, swapped the engine swapped the engine out. He's already fastest in free practice one today. He'll start if he gets pole tomorrow, he starts on tenth. And he's three points With, ahead, isn't he? Yeah. The championship is alive for the first time in a long time. You've got a legitimate championship type championship race in F1 this year. Turkey is a great circuit. It's a fast circuit. It's one for overtaking. It'll be a good watch. Brilliant. Nice one. Kira, anything from you? Yeah, don't forget Sunday, 6 p.m. UK, NFL Red Zone. Brilliant. Got yeah. it. Got it. Yeah, I need seven, to start. I need seven to start. hours. I need to start picking up it again. Well, the 49ers have lost their last two, so. Yeah. Okay. Patriots. Patriots. Patriot, 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 I need to find a team. I might just start putting the Buccaneers, but they're owned by Glazers, so. Terrible, but. You're a craft boy, mate. You, I know. I suppose whoever's <laughs> the flavor of the month, I might start putting New York Giants because Kieran's got a uh, top one, so I might just put Try the Jets. Try the Jets. They're in London on Sunday. Are they being at White Hart Lane, are they? Yeah, Falcons, Jets on Sunday. Nice. Nice. That'd be on BBC as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, they probably would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Before we end it, Sienna, Road to Recovery. Um, we just need to get it over the line now. I know they've scheduled her trip in November, I think, to St. Louis for treatment, and then the next stage is rehab. So let's donate where we can. That would be great. And then I believe no pre-match, post-match tomorrow, um, as obviously it's international weekend, but I'm sure Gav's got something planned for Fatback 4 on Sunday. Um, that's all from me, Kev and Kieran. Over and out. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.